Hi, everybody. This is Tracy, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this episode of Good Life Stories. I created this podcast because I believe we are all seeking connection, and what better way to do that than through story? So get ready. These stories are meant to suck you in. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey, everybody, this is Tracy. Today, I am so excited. I get to introduce you to my friend, Maureen O'Shaughnessy. She is on a mission to connect the dots between education, belonging, and youth empowerment. She founded the Human Centered Micro School of Lead Prep in Kirkland, Washington. And she has done the most amazing things. She has worked on disrupting our outdated education system and is one of the most fascinating resources I know for helping solve educational challenges for kiddos. So thank you for joining us today. Again, my guest is Maureen O'Shaughnessy. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to this episode of Good Life Stories. I'm Tracy Crowley, your host, and today I'm with Maureen O'Shaughnessy. And I met Maureen, I think almost nine years ago now, something like that. Mm-hmm. She and I met at a networking event and we got to talking about education. And at the time I was really struggling with some things with my son and how his learning abilities were not lining up with the current education system. And she was kind enough to meet with me. I don't know if it was that day or if it was really soon after. And we sat down and she taught me a lot about what she'd been through with her own kids and just listened with such an open heart and helped me understand that where I was was somewhere a lot of people had been and that there were a lot of choices in front of me. And I had felt like I was in a place where I didn't have a lot of choices. And so having somebody open your mind that way and help you understand the choice on education that you just didn't even know existed has been fantastic. And Maureen also helped me more recently when that same son was facing some other challenges. So I just, I am feel I'm in huge debt to this <laughs> beautiful woman today. And so I'm excited to have her on my podcast to talk about her life stories and some of the other things going on in her life right now. So Maureen, when I was looking at your list of what you sent me, you put one of your your life stories, which I feel like is, I always ask people to capture something in a sentence or two. And you said, adventures and lessons from raising my girls in seven countries. I feel like, okay, you couldn't have packed more into one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So I was nosing around the internet and I could find Costa Rica, Ecuador, Budapest, and Kuwait. Where else did you live? (laughs) I started a school in the Andes in Peru. Okay. And did you say Budapest? Yes. Did you say the Philippines? No. Okay. That's it. All right. And then the wow. US. Yes. And, and here. Yes. Wow. Okay. So what, oh, what comes to my mind when you say that is what took you there? Mm. International schools. I grew up in Ellensburg. I got stuck in Ellensburg for college because I got a great scholarship. So I was so thrilled that I got to study in Mexico and Spain when I was at Central, and that just changed my world. So my fifth year of teaching, I taught in Spain, came back, got the doctorate, the hubby, the girls, and then back overseas (laughs) I went. And then we just did two-year hops around the world and brought them home for high school to have more things in English. And yeah. then we did an interim in Costa Rica, even 
in that high school chunk of time. Wow. So every one of those was you. So you were teaching in a different school environment. Principal or, or head of school, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you were going to put one as like the place where you, I feel like you learned a lot in all of them, but of the one that like my listeners would find the least recognizable to what they've seen. Like what would be the most different? Cause you were talking about some of the ones that you'd established and like, tell me something about what comes to mind when I ask you that. I would say Kuwait. I think we have a cultural stereotype of the middle East and of Muslims and going there with a one-year-old and a three-year-old I was blown away by how child-centered it was. I mean, these women in full black hijabs and abayas, I mean, they would swoop down on my little girls, on my little blonde girls. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. And my girls were like, bring it. We love all this attention, (laughs) you know? And it was just so child-centered, super safe. It was post-Gulf War. And it was just kind. And the Kuwaitis were like the upper class. And then we were kind of a second class. And then workers from developing countries were like third class. So definitely a class system. But a lot of, I mean, they were kind, but the other Muslims that were working at the school from Jordan, from, from other places, they shared their faith with me. And it's like such a humble, beautiful faith. And we had regular picnics with one family and they were from Jordan. And I could ask the daughter, so now why are you choosing to cover your hair? And how does this work? And what does this mean? So they let me ask all of these questions. And it was all choice and humility. It was not what we might assume. And we hear stories of Saudi where like, if a girl does anything wrong, she could, you know, horrible things. She could be murdered, you know. And yes, that's one extreme. We also hear, you know, of the suicide bombers right. the, the the people that will put on the suicide vest and you know the terrorists right. and i heard a great metaphor once that or a comparison that these these terrorists are to muslim what the kkk is to christianity and oh, and nice. and to me that really frames it because many of us will claim christianity but few of us will claim kkk because that's so extreme and it's about hate and hurt. So I feel like I wish people could experience how kind and gracious and humble the people are in the Middle East. At least that was my experience. Yeah. You know, and and I feel like for for all of us when we, if you have a chance to live overseas, it it opens your eyes. Just just mm-hmm. no matter what it is and it helps you be as you said just more humble about where you're from. Mm-hmm. You know, to see the beauty and the joy and the love that exists everywhere and is what we all want as humans. It's what we want for ourselves. It's what we want for our children, you know, and by seeing that in other countries and seeing it done differently, you know, you Mm -hmm. really get to learn lots about yourself as well as where you are. But I love, I'm going to steal that because when you said that my first thought was I didn't, I, it has never even occurred to me that the KKK would be a Christian organization. Because mm-hmm. I know so little about it because I've just, you know, distanced myself. It's so horrifying. Like, just, I don't know about that, mm-hmm. you know, and so it wouldn't have even occurred to me. But I rec- I realized, oh, no, they are. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
So, okay. So that's most unusual. So if you were going to take, if you were going to take your girls back to live, like I know they're fun- high functioning adults now, so you're all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were going to go back somewhere and teach again, where would you go first? Wow. I, I feel like because it was really important to me that my girls be bilingual and yeah. Spanish was the language I could help them with that in. I feel like if we went to a Latino country, we would be able to slide more into relationships and the culture because we have the language. Right. And a place that I've only visited, but that my best friend was from when I worked in Ecuador is Colombia. And oh, nice. talk about friendly, fun-loving people. And actually, I stayed with my best friend's mom and took my nephew there and had a lovely time when I visited Bogota. So, yeah. and we had a Spanish teacher at my micro school, also from Colombia, and just super nice. So, I think in terms of Latino, I'd say Colombia. Yeah. Otherwise, I have visited many times, and I, I'm one that likes to try every place. I don't like to go back, but yeah. I've gone back to Thailand. And nice. I think Thailand would be amazing because there's, there's Bangkok, which is just the hub and exciting and metropolitan. You know, there's Chiang Mai that's green and, and away from the hub, but still its own town. And then there's like Phuket and the other islands that are sandy and out in the ocean. So it has so much going on. And then, the Buddhist faith is beautiful and, and all of the different stupas and, and different attractions and stuff. So yeah, I'd say Colombia and Thailand would draw me. Nice. Nice. Okay. So would you mind sharing a little bit? Cause when you put down for one of your stories, being a fierce advocate for rethinking schools, would you mind sharing a little bit of some of the things around what you went through with your daughters that you had shared with me kind of where did this start because you didn't just start as a teacher thinking wow we need to reframe things yeah when you were talking to me i remember more of it became maybe it just became more acute when it was your own children i think that's actually it because i got to do a lot of volunteering in resource rooms and i actually worked in a group home when i was putting myself through college so i always liked the bell curve. I always liked the gifted and the edge where, you know, where there are more challenges. I, I really felt like we need to serve everybody. And then as a young teacher, I got to start a gifted program that was an enrichment program in my elementary school. And then I got to start a school within a school for at-risk high school kids. So I was about making sure that school was inclusive and that we looked at all of the populations before I had my girls. And then, as you know, no two kids are alike. And my daughters could not be more different. And my older daughter, quirky, lovely, second grade, she wasn't outgrowing that typical quirkiness. And we did a neuropsych eval and they discovered ADHD. And that was part of the puzzle. And then um, somebody from the State Department helped me get into the UW Autism Center on our summer break between Ecuador and the Philippines. And she got an autism diagnosis. And then they did some weird connective tissue tests. They thought she might have Marfan syndrome and um, she didn't, but a blood test came back and they said, oh, by the way, she has three X chromosomes instead of the two that most females have. And it's called trisomy X tall stature. And it's like, that explains why my 11-year-old was 5'11 and wore a size 11 shoe. Because it's like, none of our family is that tall. But, right. you know, so the chromosome piece. So there have been so many different challenges with her physical situation with the autism, with the ADHD, and she's just gentle and in her own world a lot. And it's, it's beautiful, 
but there's some challenges, especially then connecting with others and the social pieces and now the pieces with coworkers. Little sister was the opposite, fierce and out there, jumped a grade on everything. And she's thinking about law school next. And that would probably be a good fit. But keeping her challenged and making sure she didn't get bored or frustrated, I just watched how they both had very different needs. And then I hadn't really been aware in overseas schools how much personalization there was. because It was a pretty traditional curriculum. It wasn't project-based, super cool. Most of the places we were... It was fine and caring teachers, but there had been a lot of adjustments. I think I had just kind of taken for granted because we were such a tight community mm-hmm. overseas, like the seventh grade choir teacher that let my older daughter, Jadrian, who will not perform in front of others, but she yeah. loves to sing. She's like, yeah, I won't audition. So I guess I'm not going to sing. And he's like, how about if you come in after school and you can turn your back away from me and you sing? And she's like, okay, just you and me got it. Yeah. You know, so little things or she was getting dive certified in the Philippines and she wouldn't take her mask off and she passed everything. And the teacher came over and was in our pool and just kept working with her until she could do that last piece. So when there wasn't that kind of care and possibility for personalization, I I ended up trying six or seven high schools. Yeah. The possibility of thinking like the, is there another way to solve this? Because most of the time it's an easy answer. (laughs) Exactly. But it takes wanting to do that and feeling like you have the bandwidth to do that. And we got back to the States and tried six or seven different high school models. And I finally just helped them graduate early. And part of that was an interim to Costa Rica. And I was just like, wait, it wasn't that impossible, like you say, to just use a little bit of curiosity and possibility thinking to personalize. And I was so fed up by then. It was like, boy, Am I going to put my money where my mouth is? And it was terrifying, but that's what led me to start my micro schools. And how can we do something that's more personalized where teachers don't have five groups of 30 plus kids and then try to get to know all of them, but we can be smaller and relational. (laughs) So my girls were definitely the tipping point where it's like, this is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel like there's so much that you've taught me and I'm glad. So for all of my listeners out there, Maureen has her own podcast called Education Evolution, correct? Yeah. Yep. So if you want to learn more about this kind of stuff, please go listen to Maureen's podcast because there's absolutely no way that we could capture everything she and I have talked about over the last nine years in the next hour. (laughs) So she's a wonderful source. And I feel like Maureen truly helped open my eyes to what was accessible or what I could even ask for as a parent, like helping me understand what was available and that there might be another way to do it and and was just the to me the best voice I've ever had for just listening and helping mm. be that person who could say well have you tried this and just that just that one question can sometimes open up a door you didn't even see mm, and yes. and I just that's so fantastic for me to know that you exist and that you chose <laughs> that you did choose to put your money where your mouth is quite literally you know so that's just, I love that. You so inspire me. Okay. So now, so your third one, you put why passion and purpose are so important to you. So why did you write that? I am really concerned by the mental health situation in the United States with our tweens, teens, and young adults in particular. And this isn't global with these age groups. This is something that's very specific to us 
and even in developed countries, we tend to have a bigger, a bigger situation going on here. And in unpacking it, I really feel like our schools have an important role to play in mental health and helping kids be aware of things, aware of resources, aware of signs, aware of self-regulation, self-advocacy. And one trajectory I see that drives me bananas is like saying, okay, kiddo, you go down this path, you graduate high school, you go to a four-year college, you graduate, you go to the same college, your brother, your your family is, you're, you're a cougar, a husky, whatever, and then life you live happily ever after. And that is such <laughs> a freaking fairy tale, you yes. know? And in no place do we say, what lights you up? What are you good at? And there's this concept called ikigai. Have you heard that word? <laughs> Can you see where's the camera? Oh my gosh. She, she flashes the image of ikigai right on the camera. Yes. And it's so cool. I work with my students on that. You know, what are you good at? You know, what, what, what really makes your heart break open? Like, this is super important. What does the world need? And then if it's not in a volunteering capacity, what can you make money at? And so we've really so, built- Maureen, go ahead. You, I'm just going to go. So if you've never heard of Ikigai, and I realize you're Maureen and I can see each other, but we only record the audio. Um, the Ikigai that I flashed up is four circles. It looks like a, it's a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. um, and the four intersections are passion, mission, profession, and vocation. And then around that, the four circles that create, that create the questions there and where they meet are what do you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is something that I wish I had kind of like stamped on my mirror every day, because these are the conversations I have with people a lot. And I feel like what I hear, and when you're saying, saying it's just such a fairy tale, you know, when people say, you know, do what you love and, and the money will just show up later. It's like, well, okay, but not if you're not doing it right. Like if you never go mm -hmm. seek other resources, if you never try to get better or the, cause if you just have what, if you think what you love is what you're going to get paid for, that only matters if the world needs it. You know? So it's, I feel mm -hmm. like you guys just such a beautiful representation of, of that and how it can support. And yes. People. And, and the story behind it, I, I guess because you and I already know it, it's, I forget to, to go back it, um, in Japan, they did studies. Why on Okinawa are the, the, why do the people live so much longer? And why are they so much healthier? And then when they did more research, they found that there are four of these blue zones, you know, where people live longer and they found it was this ikigai, which is a Japanese word. And that means a reason for jumping out of bed in the morning, you know? And so, to me, it's like, why aren't we using that question and where passion and purpose, where do those four Venn circles overlap passion, purpose? What are you good at? You know, what does the world need? And why aren't we doing that in schools? And why aren't we saying, let that guide you? And as we've built that into our micro school, like in our civics class, I, I can give an example of a sixth grader and a 12th grader. The sixth grader loved dogs. She was worried about greyhound dogs that were strays and she was good at drawing. And what she wanted to do was create these posters to raise awareness of this going on and where these dogs could get shelter and they could find homes. So she put plastered posters up all over and it tied into her icky guy. And then 
On the other end, I had a senior who had left a big public high school because a friend of his had committed suicide and it just spiraled him and he could not be at that school. He was so mad that it was kind of like business as usual at the school because they have the job of educating and they have so many constraints. So I never blame big schools because they have so many things that they're doing, but he's like, not okay. So in the civics class, they were learning the processes for how do you go about creating change and what are the steps? He wrote a letter, he petitioned the school board, he spoke in front of the school board and said, you need to have more mental health resources, more than a once a year assembly. He made changes in a school district, tying into what really broke his heart open. What was he good at? He's persuasive, he's personable, he has amazing interpersonal skills. You know, so he got into his icky guy and we can, as parents and educators and employees, we can help kids line up with their passion and purpose. We can help them identify it, identify when they're not in it. Oh, that cubicle job is killing you. Do you want to work on our outdoors crew? Are you somebody that needs to be out and about in fresh air? Oh, this huge working with all these people, like my daughter with autism, too many people cra- it makes her crazy, but she's running a library in a school that's just kindergarten kids. So she reads to them and then she shelves books and she loves systems. She loves things orderly and working with five-year-olds. It's perfect. It's not all these coworkers and all this coordinating with others. She has her own zone. Yeah. So how can we help people find passion and purpose so that they're out there contributing to society and they're happy. And when we're contributing and doing stuff that really feels good to us, then anxiety and depression go down and mm-hmm. fulfillment goes up. And don't we want that for all of our youth and all of our community? Yeah. Yes, 100%. Oh, my goodness. I love I love listening to you talk. Uh, <laughs> so so my, one of my other questions I always ask is, what is your superpower? So will you tell me what do you want me to read what you what you put down? Or, or is it just something you know? I know. It's it's weird. I, I've done um like agilities.org has a great a vocational test that I have my students take and it, it's free and it, it kind of says what your top three talents are. And part of mine is ideas and part of mine is selling them and part of it is connecting and resources. And I love taking ideas. I love ideas. My brain just like, yeah, munch on that all day long. That is fun and possibilities and mundane routine stuff. Like my brother's an amazing CPA. That job would drive me nuts. I want to <laughs> create, I want new ideas. And and I am really good at pulling them together, mixing them up in different ways and, and spitting them back out again. And we've been able to do that a lot with our micro school. We have a kid in a situation. It's like, okay, yeah, this kid is not going to work to do math on the online program. How can we do it this way? What are we going to do about this? I love ideas, connecting them in new ways. It's the possibilities and that's how can we keep evolving and we have to put things together in new ways. And then I love connecting people. Oh my gosh, you need to talk to this person because what you guys are doing is amazing and you two would be kindred spirits. The connecting or I hear from a lot of parents that aren't near my school and like, hey, have you checked this out? And what about this? And here are some places you can go, making sure people know about resources. I am like, so not an expert at anything, but you don't have to be smart if you know a lot of smart people out there and can connect others to that. So that's my superpower, the ideas and the connecting. I love it. I just had this visual. It's my, I'm a very, very visual person. All I could see was you with all these ideas, but all this stuff that you know that like I, I want to call you like the string tire 
or the knot tire because like you like pull it all together and like that's how it's going to fit where I feel like other people would just see a whole bunch of balloon strings and not know which ones to grab you know (laughs) whereas you just know where they all are and go get it and put it together and hand it off and that's such a good description of what you've been able to do for me just listen and go hey did you know that this that door is actually open farther than you realize and you could go in and turn right or left and it's yes. when people are stuck and especially especially when people are stuck with their kids and mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. i feel like you just have a certain dose of magic because you've become such a great resource provider like that's just Thank a wonderful you. thing um, <laughs> okay so i'm going to read your three quotes on here because i read them and they just were all they just sung to me. I haven't heard a couple of these before. And so I love it. So your first one is sometimes the only mode of transportation is a leap of faith. The next one is tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life by Mary Oliver. And I cannot be all the good that the world needs, but the world needs all the good that I can be from a Janice Danfield song. So those are just beautiful. And I love the, sometimes the only mode of transportation is a leap of faith. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. And I ask, I know if you could get one thing done in the next year, what would it be? And you put to right size your life. So what does that mean right now? Wow. Well, one thing it means is after 10 years of, of founding this micro school and getting it up and running, it means passing it on. And it also means making it right size for the next leaders. So we've taken my job and split it into two full-time jobs, a business back-end person, and then that head of school instructional front-end connection piece. And the business person is already on and getting things sorted out. And we have an amazing head of school. We did a big search, 21 candidates. And so we have a great local educational leader that gets that kids don't fit into nice little cubby holes. So right sizing means stepping away from something that's 24 seven when you start a business, as you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all consuming. And if anything happens, you're the one getting called and you're sorting out all the odds and ends. And I'm, I'm starting to look for a job from July on where I'm not 24 seven. I, I, I feel like I have so much passion and I don't want to be the whack-a-mole person doing a little of everything because when you're small, you, you're HR, your facilities, you're everything. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I feel like 10 years, it's longer than I, you know, two year hops around the world. Right. 10 years in Seattle is huge. And so right-sizing myself professionally right-sizing. I I love the ideas of minimalism and just simplicity. Mm -hmm. Having some time to do that, to get that work-life, physical fitness, friends, nature, getting all those things in balance. It just feels like time to To right-size. And and who am I now after 10 years of my identity being totally woven up in lead prep, which is beautiful, but just time to figure out what is the right balance for me now. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. What a fun point to be doing this for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like I want to, I want to talk to you in a year. Like let's do this again <laughs> in a year because I want to see where you land. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's, yeah, there's so much open to you going forward. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what you say yes to next. Mm. Yes. Where can I serve and use my gifts fully next? 
Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So last question of if you could shine a spotlight on one thing or one person right now, you put Safe Passage Camina Seguro, is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In Guatemala. So what is that? So I was a finalist and was flown down there to be the executive director of this nonprofit. And then I heard last week that they went with a local Guatemalan who's already working in nonprofits there, which makes sense. But in the process, I was floored. Guatemala City has one of the largest garbage dumps in Central America. And this woman had gone from a U.S. university, Henley Denning had gone down, seen that these children are working on the garbage dump along with their parents. And she's like, no, I want them to get an education. So she worked really hard and had an after, kind of an aftercare, a tutoring kind of program, a safe hub for them. And she developed it, I think, eight years. And then overseas, driving is a little crazy. And she was actually in a car accident and killed. But people kept it going. And it's well-funded. And it's this wraparound support that is amazing. The kids have school from preschool through 10th grade. And then they're placed in an 11th and 12th vocational or high school program to, to broaden their wings with after school and weekend support for those kids, vocational support ongoing for those kids, food, two meals and two snacks while the kids are at school, because that may be the only food they get. Parent education, English instruction for adults, a women's vocational workforce training, their wraparound support for this population, and they're determined to break the cycle of poverty. There's a, a U.S. nonprofit, which is Safe Passage, and yeah. then the, the nonprofit in Guatemala is Camino Seguro and People are working there more than 10 years. They're staying there. They love it. They're so dedicated. And I was just humbled to see the difference they're making. That is so exciting. Yes. And they take volunteers. So if you're taking a a trip and want to do a service trip, you could go down and help people learn English or you could send money. You could do anything. It's like, I think we forget how good we have it here in the States and mm-hmm. it's humbling and it's, it's a call for us to not forget about our brothers and sisters across the borders. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just tickled to have some time with you and can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, if you're looking for Maureen, I'm just going to give you her podcast link because I think that's a great place to start. And I know she has a lot of her resources linked off there. You can find it at www.educationevolution.org. I know it's on both uh, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts that I've seen. And she's got a lot of other great resources out there. So please take the time to look her up. All right. Thanks, Maureen. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at goodlifestories.com for more show notes and additional episodes. Please subscribe and consider rating and reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help others connect to us. Who do you know with a good life story? I would love to hear from you. Good Life Stories, creating connection one story at a time.